0: following program is brought to you by your friends at podcast one
1: springtime tips and fun facts from paul Kristen, and dexter at total wine and more did you know there were over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne did someone say brunch leave the egg hunting to the kids we'll have even more fine hunting for your brilliant brunch riesling.
0: ham sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit how about a juicy pinot noir whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Welcome to the Forbes Sports Money Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. On this show, we talk about the business of sports. It's my pleasure today to have as my guest, Peter Fagan, the president of the Milwaukee Bucks. Peter, thanks a lot for joining us today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: So I take it you've been a little bit busy with the new arena.
1: We, we we're transforming the city. We're we're uh, we're we're building a an arena in the middle of uh, kind of a thirty acre development, and uh, and we're trying to kind of reenergize a, a franchise in the city of Milwaukee that hasn't been kind of alive and awake for a long time. So we're, we're doing a lot of fun things.
0: Hey Peter, uh, before we get into the new arena, uh, for those of us. Uh, uh, those people listening who may not be familiar with your journey to the Bucs and what you're currently up to, uh, bring us up to speed. How did you end up with the Bucs and get involved with what you're doing right now as president of the NBA team?
1: So I'll, I'll give a long journey and in, in as quick as I can. I, um, I got out of school, went into you know what I call the the entertainment service business and Six Flags theme parks at the time when Bob Pittman was running the, the theme parks for Time Warner. Loved that business, thought it was great, learned more on the sales and marketing side than you can imagine. Went from Six Flags to Madison Square Garden, where I was hired by Ernie Grunfeld, and eventually went on to run marketing um, there. Then I took a, um, a break from sports and entertainment and retail and went on to work at Marquee Jet, which was later bought by NetJets. Um, I I ran marquee and and took them through the acquisition with NetJets, which was a Berkshire Hathaway company, kind of in the, the, um, I call that the luxury service business, the ultimate luxury service business in private aviation. during that time, um, while I was at Marquee, I, I certainly started to network and, and get around. My, I have an identical twin brother who is in New York City who happens to run a high school. And at that high school, all of Mark Lazary and Wes Eden's kids attended. And uh, he taught them and kind of got them, mentored them through school. At that time, Mark Lazary, one of the owners of the Bucks, started to look at teams Um to, to purchase. And lo and behold, my brother looked at him one day and said, hey, listen, my brother's not the smartest guy in the world, but he's a good operator. He'll actually be better than your normal you know, portfolio manager uh, quant guys and give you a real look at it. And we, I kind of jumped on his team as a moonlighting event um, to, to start looking at teams and we looked at five or six teams over seven or eight years and lo and behold, one weekend we went to the Milwaukee Bucks and uh, Senator Herb Cole was ready to to sell the team and uh, make a very long story short, um, I took, I was Mark's representative taking him kind of through the sale and putting in a go forward operation plan when we started to realize what the opportunity was was here, was which was much greater than kind of running the business operations operations. It was real development. It was re-engineering basketball operations. It was a new media deal. It was all the things that happened, you know, over a long period of time in one condensed, you know, probably three to five year period. I I just thought it was the opportunity of a lifetime. And uh, Mark West and Jamie Dynan, who came in at the end to be the third partner, uh, hired me to kind of give me the greatest opportunity in the world.
0: So, so you've been there from the get-go, and, you know, what I found very interesting about the Bucs, I mean, you see some of these deals that have happened in the last few years with the NBA, you know, uh, let's say, for example, I think, you know, the Clippers being bought by Steve Ballmer for $2 billion. I mean, Ballmer never even looked at the financial of the Clippers. I mean, he had a net worth of over $20 billion, and the $2 billion check, you know, uh, was, was a pretty much a pittance to to him you know w- different case and of course the Clippers being in LA huge market everything was set in place you know they're tenants in the Staples Center uh, new building uh, or, or one of the more lucrative buildings I should say it, it, the situation in Milwaukee probably the exact opposite you know one of the smaller NBA markets uh, was not a good arena situation at the time and, uh, you know, the big challenges were there for the new owners of the Bucks when they came in. I think it was, what was it, about two years ago the team was bought, something like that? A little
1: bit over three years ago. three
0: already, wow. In the,
1: in the summer of fourteen.
0: And, uh, you know, obviously the, the new owners, Wall Street guys, uh, really good with finance, so they uh, must have seen some potential there to get some big upside uh, on, on what they were paying. And, and it, I believe... Uh, the uh, new arena deal was sort of uh, included in the purchase. In other words, uh, part of the purchase price uh, uh, was for the new arena and the outgoing owner, Senator Cole, was going to contribute, I think, about $100 million to the new arena. So the new arena was really front and center to the team, the purchase of the team and moving forward uh, for the new owners.
1: Yeah, make no mistake, the the arena was, we were either going to, we were either going to we were either going to construct a new arena or like legally have to sell the team and somebody would buy it and move the team if, if the uh, if the state the county and the city hadn't agreed to help us finance the arena so part and parcel of, of the agreement between Wes and Mark and Jamie and Senator Cole were we would keep this team in Milwaukee and it 's one of the reasons Senator Cole wanted to sell it um, to these guys because they gave a promissory note and they contractually signed that they would they would keep the team, and if we couldn 't keep the Team in Milwaukee, we'd actually have to have to sell the team. So I don't know if too many people know that. And then of course Senator Cole contributed 100 million dollars, you know, to the new arena, which is which is a rarity in uh, in the times. So this was really kind of and and these guys, which you mentioned, you know, are finance because This is kind of the new era of NBA owners. So they really wanted to look at this, rip it down to the studs, and use it as a startup and uh, and build all the process and organization for. From the ground up um, and make no mistake it was a very distressed asset you know we bought this team at five hundred and fifty million dollars um, and then as you mentioned Steve Palmer two weeks later buys the Clippers for two billion dollars so you can imagine your enterprise value overnight you know gets a nice smile. Peter what
0: in the heck is it like starting from point zero to, and going ahead and building a new arena and you know What sort of were you looking at? What were your options? And how did you get to the point where you said, you know what, this is the decision we're going to make, the direction, even in terms of uh, the development around the arena?
1: It, you know it kind of it kind of all starts with the vision, which really comes from which really comes from the owner you know it, the owner is in a big way, hey, listen, kind of on an urban planning on a on a catalyst as the arena, what the mix of retail commercial, and everything else as well as the culture of the team you know so you take the vision you really you really kind of come up with the your plan and then what we do here is like we define what success is on everything. So we kinda of get everybody involved and before we do anything it's it's really like what is success down to down to what do we want the design of our training center to look like and function and what does it do to how much revenue, you know, are we eBedying on certain on certain lines of business to get it done. So, you know, there's there's the vision and then it really gets down to the process and the execution and the deliverable and that's really kind of the genius of, of of these owners and kind of having such a financial background is they've got a touch and feel for the customer which it's all about and the players and the coaches and the employees, but really it's a business. so how do you start here and end up there and, and that's really kind of what the challenge is
0: in terms of the corporate market there and and, and the uh, potential for sponsorship I mean you you know coming from Madison Square Garden you know uh, where you had been a few years before the uh, biggest market in the NBA to the Bucks. how did you go about uh, looking at the sponsorship landscape to the point we were able to build out and find, you know, the four founding partners that you have uh, and, and be able to strike deals with them?
1: Well, it's a much longer journey than I thought it would be. I mean, we really had to create equity and value, which did not exist. So we were the small market team who basically kind of gave away the product. There is a decent corporate culture, you know, here in Milwaukee, literally, you know, 85 miles away from Chicago, as well as, you know, NBA teams are becoming national and international, you know, brands. I mean, we really had to put a value proposition together and kind of shock the system of all of our existing sponsors, as well as any new prospects, that we were not... Not you know kind of the bargain basement you know answer to to the NBA and that was a cultural you know big change that 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 took time and took us time to build our audience time to build the equity the relationships to really change it I mean w- timing is everything and we had these three seasons to really bridge into a new arena. Um, Next year, to really get us. So, we are like a competitive market NBA team going into this new arena on ticket sales and revenue, on partnerships, as well as activation uh, around the team.
0: And we're taking a quick break. The Forbes Sports Money Podcast is brought to you by Lifelock. Is your personal info for sale on the dark web? Monitoring your credit card can't show you, but Lifelock sees a wide range of threats to your identity. If something happens, U.S.-based specialists can work to fix it. Go to com. use promo code Forbes, and save 10%. Well, I'm looking at, you got you. Got Johnson Controls, BMO Harris Bank, Frodehart, and the Medical College uh, as your four uh, founding sponsors, uh, along with, I guess, uh, Miller Coors is, is one of them as well. Um, how were we able to... Uh, I don't want to say sell them, but what was it about the new arena that attracted them uh, to being a founding uh, partner?
1: Well, I, I think like people, you know, I, I think you've, part of it, part of it, very much there is is what the what the local vibe is here, so we have created such excitement and energy you know around the team around team performance, um, the buzz around the the new arena and then what we did is really create urgency because once demand started going up, we were really like hey here 's your window you know you 've got to get in, and we started very early with with Dozens of prospects on aligning interests, you know how can you reimagine the way you partner with an NBA team, the way you leverage media, the way you leverage digital and and how great what great partners we are to be in so we've spent a lot of time kind of looking we've got like we've got probably the next three or four months some more announcements on founding partners, and then hopefully sooner versus later on a naming rights partner and really you know, our goal is to leverage, you know, our value in a big way and not be considered, you know, a very small market, you know, um, decision.
0: How can you uh, – you mentioned digital. I find that very interesting. Of course, you know, more and more people are consuming content, particularly sports content digitally. Um, how are you able to use digital as, as well as the NBA's uh, growing exposure overseas – uh, to help bring sponsors to the new arena.
1: Well, think of some of the facts, Mike. Like, you know, what's happening here is 50% of our digital audience, which is which literally grows every month and the NBA is kind of on a growth pattern that is just fantastic comes from outside the United States, you know, about 60% of our social media, you know, people who actually engage with us and talk are outside the United States. A lot of that uh, centered in China, in a big way, um, and then you know we have three million fans, you know following following our game clips, you know alone in video views in China. Not to mention when we're on a Tencent broadcast in China, there are ten million people watching the game, um, you know, which is a, l- a little bit greater audience than your thirty or fifty thousand, you know, in Milwaukee. So what you've done is you've really translated you know this localized business into like an international business overnight and and that's the kind of value prop that we've got to get out and kind of sell that's like how valuable a a jersey patch is that's how valuable courtside signage is it's it's really hundreds of millions of impressions that are no longer contained in the continental u.s
0: that's great by the way did you say when we were just getting started um, that you guys also recently did a, a new local TV deal, or were you referring to the new national deal for the NBA?
1: No, we're in the middle of uh, we are in the middle of negotiating like what our local what our local media rights uh, package will be after this season.
0: And we know those deals have been, uh, I think, on average, the last seven or eight of those deals over the last year and a half uh, have been increasing at a better than a two times rate. So uh, uh, that, that should be uh, another boost for the team. Hey, listen, before we get into too many uh, uh, financial numbers here, uh, perhaps, you know, you're talking about the team and how it's been playing. Talk about an undervalued asset. The team wasn't that good before you guys came in. It's a hot team right now. Tell me about the impact of the Greek Freak, who's probably the best young player to come along in the NBA since LeBron.
1: So I'd love to take credit funny you mentioned you know marketing in Madison Square Garden I used to tell people like listen if you can't fill Madison Square Garden with 18 million people like you're inept you know it's like I should have never been given a mo- you know a medal for marketing in Madison <laughs> Square Garden because of like what you have and the difference of marketing in a market like Milwaukee is you know you don't have you don't have the fan base you know we've got a, you know we've got a state with 5.5 million people you know you've got to you've got to engage and value and 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 treat every fan, you know, in in you know, at the highest value, because uh, there's not another bucket of 17 million of them to to go out to. If you lose one of them, you know. We went out three years ago, and, and much like you would think on an organized plan, we said, here it is, we're going to block and tackle, we're going we're to win the city of Milwaukee, we're going to win the state of Wisconsin, we're going to take the Midwest, then we're going to take the country, then we're going to take the world. I mean, literally, that's the way we think. So we're like, okay, we've got it, here are the things that we're going to do, here's the things we're going to do communication-wise, digital, broadcast. Then all of a sudden, the Yannis effect happens. Which, by the way, there's no way anybody – you're talking to a guy that would love to take credit for it, but nobody nobody could have imagined, you know, kind of what the difference of 12 months is to it. So Giannis has literally turned that on its side. Like, our international recognition overnight in such a short period of time has just exploded. Giannis has become you – know, Giannis will be a top-five jersey, I'm sure, when the jersey results Come out, oh man! Is,
0: Nike just signed a huge deal with him, and I mean, you're talking about a guy who's like what six eleven, and, and, and can hand play point guard basically. I, mean, I think he takes he's five six strides. 11,
1: he, as I tell people on the other side, because I let I don't I don't bother Jason Kidd or the basketball guys too much. He's six eleven. He's the funniest, smartest, nicest guy you could ever imagine. The most intense worker. All he wants to do is play basketball. We literally have to rip this kid off the court, like, not to not to overtrain. You know, like we want to. You you couldn't have a better problem. You know, than <laughs> all of his all of his focuses. And he's a, he's the greatest teammate. He's becoming a leader. I mean, he's 22 years old. I mean, I think uh, you know when I when I talk to people and, and let them realize, you know, how old these kids are. Um, you know, that a lot of a lot of normal kids are just getting out of college, you know, and uh, living alone for the first time. You know, Giannis is heading the charge to be a superstar in the NBA.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I see some parallels uh, to Giannis and the Bucs and, and what he is in the NBA, a little bit to kind of like Aaron Judge and what he meant to the Yankees in baseball this year, you know, not just in terms of talent, but as you mentioned, personality. I, I don't even know if, if people realize – what that does to the brand of the team, you know, how much that helps.
1: Well, you know, I was talking to a group of people yesterday, and I just said, hey, let's just a group of called Visit Milwaukee, so the tourism group um, that that goes. I said, guys, we, we just had the most valuable commercial we ever had. Our last game was on Tencent. Did a little bit over 11 million people around China. I don't think we could have ever bought that media buy. And by the way, for three straight hours, the word Milwaukee... Was was playing, you know, on our jerseys. You know, a big reason for that is, you know, the Giannis effect. You know, he is he is who people want to watch. He is changing the dynamic of the game and certainly the dynamic of the team.
0: Peter, how much has, if it has at all, I just I'm going back to, you know, uh, uh, let's say when you were at the Knicks and and even before that, um, the economics, of course of pro sports has gotten so much big, bigger, you know, uh, of course, in the NBA in particular. How much more important has the uh, performance of the team and, and in particular the uh, personalities and performance of stars been in terms of the ability of guys like you to leverage that into generating revenue at the arena, you know, o- outside of, let's say, basic ticket sales,
1: Listen, I think there are great examples of some NBA teams in larger markets that just haven't won in a long time, and have still sustained like a very strong business uh, kind of model, and uh, and that is a tough. You can do that in a large market, you know, because of the population base and and the spend and what you have on um, where 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 demand is in a, in a small market, um, you know our our ability we have to go out and our owners our owners have like two objectives one is to win an nba championship so that answers your question number 1 is like we have the objective to win on the court so we need to win to be successful i mean the market won't sustain you know we had kind of apathy with this team and and kind of no winning for you know close to seven to eight years that that was a big problem we 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 had a ton of attrition you know of our fan base in a big way and uh and winning winning is the accelerant so you have to have a very strong base a very strong foundation and you build that all to win because once you start the bandwagon folks and once you start you know the awareness if you've got the strong foundation you know golden state is the greatest example of it ever you know I don't think people, you know, look at Golden State six years ago. They should. You know, Golden State was that classic, you know, kind of po-dunk afterthought, NBA City. And, you know, Golden State is so well managed, so well set up for success. Uh, They win, and they are the poster team for the NBA and for basketball.
0: Do you guys make the Eric Bledsoe trade uh, uh, without this new arena? In other words, I mean, you know, you gave up. Uh, I think it was uh, besides Greg uh, Monroe, you gave up a first round pick, I think, in 2018, and a second in 2019. I mean, Bledsoe's worked out great since since coming over. And,
1: undefeated, and, undefeated, Michael. What? I mean, I mean, the, the Bledsoe era is undefeated. <laughs> do,
0: do, do, do you do you make that do you make that move without this new arena?
1: You know, it's kind of a tough question because, like, you know, you and I aren't talking without this new arena. So everything is kind of forward-looking on doing it. I mean, I think we make that move because I think as our owners, you know, we're all kind of, you know, learning and constant improvements on, on kind of how we do it. And when they look at it, the the best thing about, you know, I like about business or I like about basketball is when you know where the gaps are, you know. And and our our speed, you know, on the basketball side was, like, one of those gaps. I mean, and if you want to be a championship caliber team bar none in the NBA you need a different maker you know at the point and uh, and running the lead and then some speed and I think we, we knew that you know for a while and uh we, we took advantage of the opportunity, so you know it's more towards kind of what our general objectives are, which is which is winning. We want to keep our core base. You know, Eric's 27 years old, young guy as well, and we're able to to be additive in a very strategic way. So I think that Bledsoe trade for us, and we've done several trades and draft picks and stuff. I mean, that trade for us was kind of you know one of the more successful, great kind of things that we're all excited about after it happened.
0: How did you strike up the patch deal, the jersey patch deal with Harley-Davidson?
1: I mean it's so interesting. So we went around the world, we we talked to lots of agencies, we talked to every NBA team because it's you know, it's a new product. How do you position it? You know, I think maybe eighteen or nineteen or twenty of the teams have the patch deals to do it. And as you would imagine, literally we're 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 at a meeting at in, in a Milwaukee CEO forum and listening to the CEO of Harley Davidson talk about how they have to re engineer their customer base, how they've got to be more diverse, how they've got to expand in China. I mean, every little piece and element they were talking were bullet points in our in our presentation for selling patch rights. And literally, our head of business development grabbed him after the uh, after the presentation and and said, "Listen, we should talk." because we've got, we've got a deal that certainly is international, certainly is impression bound, and boy, the alignment would just be unbelievable, and that's the way that marriage kind of happened, which is incredible and they are a phenomenal you know Milwaukee heritage brand. they have invested um, a lot of capital in in reengineering themselves you know for the next generation, and the NBA is an unbelievable platform for them to do that on
0: yeah I, I, I see it as uh, as a former guy I owned a motorcycle, though I didn't own a Harley. Uh, For for them, for Harley, in order to uh, expand or reinvigorate their demographics, a younger audience, the type of audience that comes to a uh, Bucks game, uh, once they're aware of that, You know, to me, it would seem like a very smart deal for them. You know, it's just in my mind, as these patch deals were starting to increase through the NBA, you know, you're looking at teams and I'm thinking, you know, Milwaukee. Okay, you know, beer is big in Milwaukee. Uh, Miller, you know, Harley Davidson was the furthest, furthest thing from my mind. You know, so I was like, I got to ask Peter about this one. You know, how did that come about? Yeah,
1: it was it was. It was great. Listen, like the—I mean—the interesting thing is, we we kind of when we when we acquired the team, Harley had always been a sponsor, and they'd kind of gone dormant, you know, for for a while. So this was a fun rebirth, and uh, and and there's a real awakening, you know, and and rebirth for for the city of Milwaukee at the same time. So having two, you know, corporate partners come together is a big message too locally.
0: And now these patch deals, my understanding correct that the revenue from those deals that teams get, are they shared equally among all the teams in the
1: NBA? Yeah, they're all basketball-related income. Okay. So as you as you know, the basketball-related income revenue gets split you know, 50-50 with the players.
0: Okay. And, of course, the creme de la creme is going to be the naming rights to the new arena. Um, you look at some of the – I guess the biggest deal was, was as you were talking about how hot the Golden State Warriors are, their deal I think is going to average about $30 million a year. What do you, what do you think you guys could pull in?
1: I think I think like our goal and where we are and where we think the market is is kind of in that 7 to 10 million dollar range um a year where uh, you know and you know as time goes our media impressions continue to go up the value goes up um you know we talked about the international effect. I mean, the, the league is now broadcasting in over 250, 15 countries, um, and, and we're l- really looking for that most important partner. So, so we're being a little, you know. <clears throat> We're being very careful and thoughtful in, in how we do that. But we're looking at just what you think we would be, kind of those technology companies, the insurance companies, uh, integrators, as well as consumer products. Um, and we're looking, you know, I'd almost say all nationally and internationally.
0: And we'll be right back after this quick break. Shopping online has its pluses, but also comes with risks. With the holidays fast approaching, here are some tips to help keep your identity and financial information safe. Always use a secure internet connection rather than vulnerable hotspots. Shop on sites with secure payment methods like credit cards or gift cards. Create strong passwords. Be wary of deals that are too good to be true. And finally, avoid phony shopping apps. Here's the thing. Identity fraud costs Americans $16 billion in 2016. If you're only monitoring your credit... Your identity can still be stolen in ways you may not detect. Thieves could sell your information on the dark web or get an online payday loan in your name. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. Go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use promo code FORBES. That's FORBES for 10% off your LifeLock membership. Visit LifeLock.com and save 10% now. Now on Podcast One Sports, it's a family affair on Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's Podcast. We're going to attack this day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Hear incredible stories on Sound of Success, the Dick Enberg Podcast. Oh, my. And guess who's talking America's favorite basketball team? Hey, it's Jay Moore, and it is time for America's Lakers Podcast. Listen on Apple Podcasts, the new Podcast One app. And where else, Jay? Podcast One.com come Springtime tips
1: and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio.
0: For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! You know, it used to be uh, for a naming rights deal, with those deals uh, going back 10, 15 years were all very simple. You know, boom, somebody, sponsor comes in and says, okay, I'm going to give you $5 million a year. You're going to take my name and put it on your building. Those deals have gotten a lot more uh, lucrative and a lot more complex where there's uh, related sponsorship and marketing and, and uh, related engagement. Uh, interaction that they have with fans as they come to arenas are you looking at something like that where the naming rights deal will go much broader than just the name on the building
1: yeah, I would tell you that almost every prospect has has at least half a dozen tentacles that go into, again, with the direct objective of how do you promote and build their business at the same time through association. So, you know, every technology, you know, wants to bring in their integration partners of things like payment systems. Everybody wants to, you know, have their core systems on, on the distributed antenna system to the Wi-Fi system to real estate prospects, like in and around the district we're building. So there's no simple, I mean, it's all terrific, but these deals have become, you know, they are big deals. If you're doing a $10 million deal, you know, for 20 years, it's a $200 million deal over 20 years, which uh, those deals in general, anywhere, are far and few between. So there's definitely complexity. And then everybody's gotten a lot smarter. Everybody wants to evolve and leverage the spend, you know, for a return. So there, there, there are thousands of touch points within all these deals.
0: What what are what's the tech like in the new building cuz I know technology's become increasingly important
1: so it's funny we did a lot of qualitative and quantitative research on like what the market you know really liked we got a, we got in depth unbelievable direction on food and beverage and then on tech it kind of it's important but not one of the driving forces, even though there's kind of a building millennial you know force but tech for us is is all about direct to consumer and easy to consumer so how does somebody navigate the building? how does somebody shop? how does somebody uh, find directionals how how do they communicate in real time now what's happening of course is second screen you know so you know simply you know and, and we took best practices from Sacramento from Orlando from Brooklyn everybody that built an arena you know lately we kind of and everybody you know for our business in the NBA we're not necessarily competitive off the court team by team so we really do kind of leverage best practices you know what is what's Wi-Fi you know capability you know which has to be by the way about 30 times more than you think it might have to be, um, as you're building these arenas. And then, you know, technology, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not a technologist, but I can tell you what, I, what I've learned the most and the best lessons from especially the 49ers and some other people on the West Coast who had to really focus, and part of their their value proposition was being the most technologically advanced arena, which is a tough proposition, is also the ability to, to pivot. So we need to build systems that we can either add on to or change You know, in the next three to five years because of the way technology is changing so quickly. So that's really, if, if, if you ask me what the toughest thing about technology is, it's really thinking about and not knowing, you know, what the next five years are going to be like. So how do you build an infrastructure and system that touches all your consumer points and knowing that you might have to change a large percent of them within five years?
0: How important is it uh, to be able to, uh, for lack of a better word, gather The data of your consumers, of those people that come into the arena. So Mike Ozanian's going to a Bucks game and on my smartphone, you know, I want to be able to know where, what I can access. You know, my preference is hot dogs. Where's the best place from my seat to get a hot dog? Uh, Any other spending habits that I have and be able to use that. And then in, Use that data because big data is becoming increasingly important now in sports to be able to both work with your sponsors and then give me feedback to tell me where it is that I could have my best experience in your arena.
1: You got it. So so the answer is how do you customize the experience in the best way to treat somebody so that they have a great time when they're there and they want to come back? And part of that is talking to them directly finding out their likes and dislikes, which becomes easier and easier as you're able to track their transactions, as you're able to track their, their purchases on retail, on food, when they post their tickets on the secondary market, what games that they attend and don't attend, where they park, what time they get to parking, uh, do they eat dinner at the arena or do they not eat dinner, and all those things allow you to almost assist in in allowing you know for the simplest form of what your offer in parking that night is you know if we can direct you to an easier place what are the specials going on beacons around the arena that basically say we know you have mike i know you have 3 kids by the way here is the holiday special at the retail store for kids clothes you know it's getting down to that finite people and then for us you know it's almost big big data is the is almost the problem like there's too much of it so i kind of implore to our guys internally is like let's start with the answer what do we want to get out of it because we certainly have an Data points now to grab what we want out of it, um, so the real key is is the is the insights how do we how do we use the data in a really smart way, and the answer is to build the business all the time, enhance the experience and build the business in a big way.
0: Peter, tell me a little bit about what the uh, the, the thirty acre development downtown is is going to be like. Uh, and, and how it's, the arena is sort of going to be the centerpiece of that. The two are going to be tied together.
1: So just think of the arena as as kind of the the center point. You know, is really the magnet, you know, and is like a gorgeous architectural, you know, kind of masterpiece in the middle of this development. And it's surrounded by literally our our training center, uh, a medical office building and clinic, a parking structure, apartments, retail, commercial, and then kind of a very kind of localized um, kind of entertainment plaza outside. So the one thing that the city of Milwaukee does not have have is an entertainment and retail destination. Um, and it doesn't really have kind of a neighborhood at the same time. So in in a, in a longer form, we're looking to really build a neighborhood um, around the arena. We want to make it uh, accommodating for office buildings. We need residential. We're building density, you know, around it. And then we have this, unabil- this incredible opportunity to kind of create destinations in and around the arena that just don't exist in the city of Milwaukee. So think about your entertainment, think about your music, think about um, your food and beverage. So, you know, we are really going, and literally this is building from brownfields. So this is west of the Milwaukee River where there was nothing. We were able to acquire 30 acres of contiguous land, and we are developing it, and we'll have developed a majority of it in probably less than three and a half years.
0: What's the what do you estimate as the total cost of the development, excluding the arena of this development? And it sounds to me what you're saying also is that the owners of the team are putting uh, some of their money into this development. Is that true?
1: Yeah, the owners are the master developers. So the owners, you know, acquired the land, have, have uh, the rights. We will we will oversee. I mean, we will bring in partners, obviously, probably on the hotel side. On the, on the residential side, we've already brought it in. But the, the owners have put in a substantial amount of capital. You know, outside of the arena, you know, you're looking at, you know, probably a billion dollars, wow. you know, of infrastructure and building, you know, over a five to ten year period, which in this city is a very, very big deal.
0: Let me play devil's advocate, Peter. So. So uh, let me pick a worst-case example. Okay, let's go out to uh, 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 Arizona. You know, the, when the when the Coyotes, the hockey team, moved out there and, and the, the new arena, it was really the economics were based really a lot around the real estate development around that arena, which, of course, as, as is well documented at this point, uh, was a complete disaster, never happened. How risky do you view this development? What gives you confidence that— Uh, Unlike some deals, uh, this is going to be something that works out well
1: well it you know I, my confidence is it's already proven, so that the minute we signed the legislation and we started development you know in the tax incentive area that uh, that we had done it literally you know other developers bought and started developing immediately, so like within what i 'd say you know an eighty eighty to one hundred acre area like surrounding the arena itself it already it already proved um proof proof positive in in the fact that people have people have already started developing in and around the arena so it's not even you know we've left it to others and it's all residential it's all commercial it's all uh, incremental you know tax basis, so you know from literally we've been lucky, you know, and kind of selling it, and I think people have been waiting for this for a while, and then on our own, listen, the the risk is how do you build density, and, and part of the philosophy, and uh, one of our partners in the ownership group is Mike Facitelli, who is uh, kind of one of the preeminent developers in the world, ran Vernato, uh, out of New York for a long time, certainly has a, a knack of, of urban planning and uh, and strategy, and part of that. Mike is to be honest, the real estate isn't like where where we want to make money. We want to drive volume and traffic you know to the entertainment venues, and the real estate is how we create density, so the deals we create. are are going to be very beneficial, you know, to to co-developers to get things done, which is a lot different than, say, Phoenix, you know, and and other things where they were trying to, you know, kind of make their money back on on the real estate side of this deal. Like our core business is the arena and the team, and there's certainly a lot of capital invested around it, and how do we pump that up um, with the real estate around it?
0: And and unlike, uh, my understanding is unlike the current, Arena in the new arena. I mean, you guys are going to be operating it. You are the Bucks are the operators uh, of the arena. So from that standpoint, uh, how important is it going to be to have non-NBA events in the arena? Because just look around, uh, both the NBA and the NHL, Peter. Uh, some of the arenas that only have one anchor tenant that is either just an NBA team or just an NHL team. It could mean millions of dollars in uh, aggregate revenue to be able to successfully book that arena, whether it be with college basketball, uh, concerts and those types of events.
1: Well, Michael, you said it. So we we kind of, although we're bucks, 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 we're now you know we're we're now charging in the entertainment business. And if you look at an arena, we've got two we've got two tenants. One are the bucks, and we win an NBA championship and play 50 games, and one is the Marquette uh, men's basketball team. So we, you get you know say you get 17 games at a Marquette. You're talking about 67 events. You know this this venue to be successful and to really pump and. Energy- Energy into the into the local economy really has to be in that you know in that two hundred range, you know which is about eighty more than it's ever done kind of in Milwaukee. So think about your family shows, your concerts, redefining what entertainment is we've already kind of we've, we've already kind of announced not our opening acts but the maroon fives of the world, like some comedians, we will announce some of the family shows coming up. I mean we are going to redefine kind of entertainment, and we have an unbelievable opportunity because it doesn't really exist on a big platform in the state of Wisconsin. So we've kind of got this, you know, what's happened to entertainment and concerts specifically is they've played the United Center, driven right by our arena to Minnesota or driven by, you know, totally missed us and gone to Indiana, you know, so we have spent the last year and a half going around the world. We we just got back from London, um, certainly in LA with our Live Nation and our AEG guys all the time. And we are pitching the fact that we built one of the preeminent concert venues in the world based on sound, star dressing rooms, load in, um, everything from rigors, catering. I mean, it is such an interesting kind of, prospect on the entertainment business but we are full full we are not successful unless that part of the business is uh, is again is a majority of the business in the arena
0: and two other things that i've seen uh, uh certain arenas do that seem to be two of the newer things um which i haven't gotten into yet but e uh esports which is a hot ticket now and and arenas are putting in esports that seem to do very well and Drone racing of all things, which, which <laughs> it seems to be having. Happen- have you looked into those two at all?
1: Yeah, so we are. We're- in the eSports business, we um, we we have started, we've got an NBA 2K team. The league is launching um, in the first quarter of next year. We are creating a venue out in our plaza that will actually have um, eSports uh, lounges uh, to play in and our uh, arena. We obviously want to be a destination for tournaments. So it is a real thing. You know, I'm sure you've talked about eSports on your shows before. I mean, um, probably guys like you and I have to spend a lot more time witnessing it and interacting with it but um you know these uh these streams you know with 20 million plus viewers um are kind of the future of uh spectator sports i mean i think i think very quickly our nba 2k tournament games online will have much larger audiences than some nba games
0: it's crazy i know i just can't believe how uh popular or I guess it was always popular just figuring out uh, how to monetize it at this point point. Um, one of the unique uh, things or one of the things I know people like you have to uh, get into and decide how you want to approach is when you're leasing suites or and season tickets and those types of things you know how long do you want to go do you want to lease suites for three years and and Uh, Somebody told me several years ago that they try to do it so that some suites are leased for three, others for five, others for one, so that they all don't renew at the same time. Uh, What's been your strategy there and, and how is that going for the new arena?
1: Well, that's a strategy. We've done that in premium seating, and we've done that in in suites and lofts, which are another product where you really stagger them. You know, for the and and really, it's the vitality of the of, of the revenue stream. You know, you do not want you know kind of the Jordan effect or the LeBron effect in Miami or things. You know, where where great, you have two or three great years, and then dependent on where you are, you, you know, you could be you could be out of a majority of of your leases if something happens. And, and we learned great lessons. You know, from all professional sports teams. So we have in suites, for example, eight, ten, and twelve-year suites um, to to sell. We've probably staggered them pretty evenly with an average of about ten years, which is great. But um, it really gives us the ability um, in a in a in a good way to, to to at least be able to forecast the business.
0: What's the uh, demand for uh, tickets in the new arena?
1: It's been great. So we've sold more. we sold a little bit over 2,500 new season tickets uh, for this season. Over 95% of those are bridge tickets into, into, next, uh, into the new arena. Our hope is to have a base of 10,000 um, season ticket holders in the new arena, which would put us kind of right in that top um, 25% of the league um, of season ticket bases. So there's been great demand. And listen, like you said earlier in the conversation, you know, the win, effect you know will only accelerate that
0: yeah absolutely I mean you see that throughout um, just for there has been so much uh, written about the new arena uh, just to set the record straight what's the financing breakdown of the new arena in terms of where the money's coming from
1: so senator Cole you know ownership including senator Cole is 250 million and then it's 250 million of public
0: all right, and I have two more questions for you because I know you're busier than heck, and I'll, I promise I'll let you go. The first one is, at the end of the day, when, when this is done, uh, and, I, and I realize there's no way to have a precise number on this, but ballpark number, how much added revenue could this the new arena mean incrementally uh, for the Bucks as opposed to where you're currently playing?
1: Well, I'll answer that. I mean, I, I think the arena gives us the ability, and, and you know NBA finances and team finances, the the arena gives us ability to have a very healthy, positive cash flow business, you know, associated with our team. And when you're competing in a small market like Milwaukee, that is a tremendous benefit, you know, to have to have additional revenues um, to offset. So, I mean, we, we think the arena, you know, when you, again, you talk about the prospect of, of kind of – Where we would go ownership wise and you know how this all started if 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 you didn't have the ability to to uh own and manage um the arena revenue you would you you wouldn't be able to operate an nba team
0: and i should remind listeners this is going to open next season right 2018-19 season right all right here's the most important question peter when it opens are you going to invite me out there
1: you're invited. Well, I think you're, you're, I think he, I, I, I've never heard someone talk so nicely about by Barry Baum or the communications <laughs> in the whole world. So I think you two must have a, an admiration club. He was, was like uh, we, we talked about you yesterday for a long. We'd love to have you yeah, I, out but, for the opening. We'd love to have you before the opening so you can actually see it. You can see it prior to its its full completion.
0: Barry's a good man. He's uh, of course I knew him through being uh, media relations for the Brooklyn Nets for uh, many years. And uh, I really, please tell him, I said thank you for hooking us up for this podcast. And Peter, as I expected and knew you would, you were fantastic. Uh, A lot of insight here that I'm sure our listeners uh, will really get a lot out of. And I wish you all the best. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of success out there in Milwaukee for years to come.
1: Well, great. Thank you very much. We really appreciate the time, Michael. Thank you.
0: That's it for this episode of Forbes Sports Money. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, please email us at sportsmoneyatpodcast1.com. That's O-N-E dot com.
1: Hey, everybody, I'm Heather Dubrow.
0: And I'm Dr. Terry Dubrow.
1: Every Friday, check out my podcast, Heather
0: Dubrow's World. We also have the Dr. and Mrs. Guinea Pig Show every Tuesday. So don't forget, iTunes and Podcast One. Tune in to Dr. and Mrs. Guinea Pig on Tuesdays and Heather Dubrow's
1: World every Friday.
0: Covered California knows that one moment can change your life. That moment you say, I do. That moment you meet your baby for the first time. Or even that moment you lose your job and your health insurance along with it. For those times when life changes, we've got you covered. Covered California lets you choose from brand name health plans, and you may even get help paying for it. Your enrollment period is limited, so find out if you qualify by getting free expert help at CoveredCA.com today. Covered California. It's more than just health care. It's life care. At the Border.